0: Doing, Mahim? We are doing great, Hafiz, and we are ready for episode three. <laughs> Perfect, this is our third episode. Thanks for
1: all. Joining in, I know you must be going crazy with ASCO, but before we get to ASCO, we wanted to talk about cell and gene therapy as a lot of the discussions around ADC by specifics and cell and gene therapy is coming into the forefront as we kind of see some of the IO2.0 and IO3.0 still showing proof of concept and later line efficacy and safety, etc. So
0: what's exciting for us? What's
1: coming up in this episode, Mahima?
0: Our topic for discussion today is cell and gene therapy. We are going to discuss the current landscape, hurdles, and emerging science and technology in cell and gene therapy space within oncology and rare disease. Thank you, Rohan and Vicky, for joining us at today's podcast. There is so much excitement around cell therapy. Rohan, can you get us started by laying out what is exciting? What's the current landscape of cell therapy in oncology? Absolutely. So currently, we have a number of
2: CAR-T products that have been approved. For hematological malignancies. And so the, the CAR constructs on these products have historically targeted CD19, uh, such as Timuraya and Yaskarda, you know, over five years ago. Uh, and the CD19 heme space has expanded with uh, cell therapies such as Ticardus and Brianzae and so on. But we've also recently seen approvals for BCMA targeting CAR T in Abecma and Carvicti. And I should mention that these are all autologous CAR T products, meaning that the cells are derived from the patients. The emerging development space includes allogeneic cell therapy, where the cells are derived from a healthy donor and are intended to be used as an off-the-shelf
0: therapy. So we're close to initiation of registrational trials in the space, and perhaps I'll touch on this a little later. That's great. So we have cell therapy in clinic, and physicians are using it daily. Before we jump into some of the hurdles, I'm curious to hear, Rohan, is there any emerging science you want to highlight in cell therapy space?
2: Yeah, sure. I, th- I think it's really been an interesting time for cell therapy, particularly since the beginning of the year. Some notable presentations at ACR presented through preclinical data. One example would be Allogene showing that their donor-derived CD70 targeting part T called Allo316 in renal cell carcinoma mm-hmm. showed very high cytolytic activity. And, and that's Uh, a design that minimizes fratricide where the CAR T cells would otherwise target each other instead of the tumor itself. So we're expecting to see the data from the ongoing phase one RCC trial later this year. And then uh, there's also FATE uh, Therapeutics that has a a really interesting NK cell platform. Their next big move is in a pan-tumor approach, implementing a CAR that targets B7H3. And that's a checkpoint protein expressed on a broad set of heme and solid malignancies. And that complements what they already have going on with MICA and B in terms of a target in solid tumors. Um, the last thing that I'd mention uh, would be TCR2's truck platform, uh, which leverages the benefits of targeting through the T-cell receptor, or TCR, and in this case, targets mesothelin, which is expressed, again, across multiple solid tumors. And what the authors showed is that an efficient knockout of the endogenous track and beta-2 microglobulin loci using CRISPR-Cas9 specifically, which eliminates the allo reactivity or graft-versus-host response of the donor-derived cells was possible and effective. And so this preclinical asset also uses IL-15 armoring to increase the persistence and has shown similar in vitro activity to its autologous analog called GAVO cell, which TCR2 is planning to advance into a registrational trial in combination with
0: Opdevo in the coming months. Oh, this is exciting. So there is so much happening in cell therapy. Agents are already in clinic and physicians are using it. That's, that's exciting. Vicky, can you also talk about gene therapy? There has been a lot of promise, but also challenges in gene therapy space. Could you walk us through the state of the landscape for gene therapy?
3: Of course, yes. Uh, gene therapy has seen a lot of excitement. This space had two approvals from the FDA. So there is Zolgensma for SMA. And Luxterna for retinal dystrophy. And these f- first approvals came five to six years ago. And since then, there's been a lot of clinical development, especially in rare diseases. Of note, there are BLA submissions coming up for Pfizer and Biomarin in the hemophilia space. So AAV gene therapy in particular has been in development for other rare diseases as well, such as uh, lysosomal storage disorders, retinal disorders, and neurodegenerative disorders. But even with all of this excitement, there have not been you know, the expected multiple gene therapy approvals. So over the past three years, there have been some safety issues and even patient deaths, and that has been challenging for the gene therapy space.
1: So Rohan and Vicky, what are some of the latest obstacles you see, one in cell therapy and two in gene therapy? We have seen and heard about multiple different challenges as we develop in cell and gene therapy. Have we solved some of the problems? What are some of the upcoming challenges and how is the industry addressing some of the issues so that we can actually get some of these cell and gene therapy solutions closer and faster to the patients?
3: Yes, so in the gene therapy space, There are three main hurdles that we want to speak about, toxicity, immunogenic response to viral vectors, and durability. So first of all, toxicity is one of the biggest hurdles to approval, and the past two years have shown that this really is a significant challenge. A main example of this is Estellus' trial for X-linked myotubular myopathy patients, And this trial experienced multiple clinical holds due to four patient deaths. All of these patient deaths have been attributed to liver disease and liver failure, and they speak to the concern of hepatotoxicity, especially for liver-directed AAV gene therapies. This also shows the need for more potent vectors and more potent transgenes that can enable lower therapeutic doses and minimize the potential for these toxicities. And aside from these liver toxicities, there are also concerns about potential integration events that may occur and cause cancer later on. So this may be less of a concern for AAV-based gene therapies since the genetic material from AAV does not integrate. However, for lentiviral-based gene therapies, the lentiviral DNA integrates into the host genome. And there were two instances in Blue Bear Bio's sickle cell program where two patients developed AML and MDS. And though it was concluded through insertion site analysis that the vector did not integrate into an oncogenic site, these events still show that insertional oncogenesis may be a significant concern. So the other hurdle is the immunogenic response to viral vectors. This can restrict the number of patients that are eligible to enroll in these gene therapy trials. And I'll let Rohan speak more on this.
2: Thanks, Vicky. And I think this is a good point to talk about durability of gene therapy. Durability has been a focus of optimizing clinical outcomes in gene therapy for hemophilia. Although the challenges are most potent for hemophilia A, which has a few key technological differences, the factor 8 gene, which is defective, thus leading to the impaired clotting, is larger than the factor 9 gene in hemophilia B. And so it doesn't fit as well into the standard AV capsid, and so you end up with some empty capsid or some improperly circularized transgene DNA following transduction. Uh, further, the functional copies of factor nine, which is the mutated copy in the case of B, and factor eight are transduced into hepatocytes. Factor nine is normally produced in these cells, whereas factor eight is produced in another type of liver cell called sin- a sinusoidal endothelial cell. So where a transgene is expressed matters. It's possible... That non-native expression leads to cellular stress and pro-inflammatory processes, uh, limiting protein transcription or translation. And then downstream of this, you have transduced liver cells that are targeted by cellular immune processes, such as cytotoxic T lymphocytes. So it's really both the lack of effective AAV transduction, as you touched upon, due to the circulizing, neutralizing antibodies, complement system activation, as well as downstream T and B cell activity that destroys the transgene producing cells that impact how long the transgene remains expressed at clinically
0: meaningful levels. So let me try to summarize um, the three hurdles that you both of you mentioned. It seems like one is definitely toxicity. Then the second that you mentioned was immunogenic responses to these viral vectors in gene therapy. And the third point, Rohan, that you mentioned was around durability. Vicky, I'm curious if if there are next-gen strategies that are being explored for gene therapy to mitigate these challenges.
3: Sure. There's been a lot of exciting science and different strategies that are being investigated currently to circumvent immune responses to AAV-based gene therapy. So mainly, there have been IgG proteases that cleave neutralizing antibodies. There have also been immunomodulation regimens to reduce B and T cell response to the capsid or transgene so all of these strategies are currently being investigated. Another strategy is engineering AAV vectors and transgenes for increased efficiency and uptake and greater transgene production. And all of this would minimize the dose of the AAV and thus minimize potential toxicities. So an example of that is Freeline Therapeutics. They're messaging that their capsid is potent in their ability to transduce hepatocytes compared to the wild-type AAV. And this potency is also highlighted in their hemophilia B trial, which higher dose levels are able to achieve the upper end of normal factor 9 expression. And these higher dose levels were actually still lower compared to the competitor doses. are several other alternative strategies outside of AAV, and those include using alternative gene delivery vehicles such as lipid nanoparticles or extracellular vesicles such as exosomes. There have also been autologous B-cell therapies that are in preclinical studies, and these autologous B-cells could allow for redosing to address that issue of durability.
0: So Rohan, is there something that you want to add in terms of next-gen strategies in in gene therapies that are being developed to overcome some of these challenges
2: sure so as, as vicky
0: mentioned an increasing
2: focus in gene therapy is overcoming the various layers of immune response to the delivery vehicle typically av but also to the transgene itself so some of the new insights include investigating the emerging role of the complement pathway which produces inflammatory toxicity and hinders durable therapeutic transgene expression in addition reduction of innate humoral and cellular responses including through the administration of LNP-encapsulated rapamycin to induce antigen-specific tolerogenic APC in combination with B and T cell immunomodulation. Specifically, Selecta has a platform called Intor that is evaluating this approach. And lastly, I say that the exploration of dosing dynamics, vector specificity, and immunogenicity of the IgG protease IDES to reduce anti-AAV neutral, neutralizing titers enables redosing and broadening the population, as Vicky uh, alluded to. And it's got, we have companies such as Hansa Bio, but also Genovis, uh, who are uh, coming to the uh, coming to the platform with new proprietary enzymes. that are being
0: explored by partners in the AAV gene therapy space. So, moving back to cell therapy, I believe toxicity as well as durability remains a challenge for cell therapy and oncology as well. Are there any other challenges that you would like to highlight, Rohan, for cell therapy within oncology?
2: Absolutely. I think the first thing to say is that there's a ton of scientific, clinical, and industry interest in the promise of cell therapy, particularly in solid tumors Mm. as the next frontier of immuno-oncology. So this technology is advancing to try and overcome attendant challenges such as targeting of solid tumors, persistence of the engineered T-cells, and particularly NK cells, filtration into the tumor microenvironment, in, into the tumor microenvironment or TME, and
0: ensuring that the tumor killing signal is selective and durable. Interesting. Uh, it's interesting that you called out solid uh, solid tumor. Are these challenges specific? It looks very specific to solid tumor. Can you tell us some ways how companies are trying to develop cell therapy to overcome some of these challenges related to solid tumors?
2: Sure. So a couple
0: of enhancements
2: are relevant presently. The addition of interleukin receptors to improve infiltration and persistence, called armoring, has been demonstrated by Presogen's phase 1 interim data in both heme and solid Uh, CD16 receptors to augment antibody-dependent cellular cytotoxicity, or ADCC, alone or in combination with antibodies, for example, checkpoint inhibitors, also to overcome immune evasion. And so FADE is implementing this approach towards iPSC-derived NK cell-based products and while early r- responses have been good, we'd like to see a little bit more durability. Uh, similarly, Encarter's CAR-NK products in heme showed strong responses utilizing, again, IL-15 armoring, potentially due to increased persistence of the NK cells. Finally, Immunity Bio using its CD16, in addition to IL-15 for its Algenic NK cell platform, uh, demonstrated efficacy in later lines of pancreatic cancer patients, a segment that's incredibly hard
0: to treat. But again, we need to to move in a more convincing direction with these data sets. So I heard you say and talk about different cell types. So you mentioned NK cell, then of course there is gamma delta T cell, and then there are NK T cell. Rohan, if you don't mind, just give us a quick snapshot of how these cell types are different and if there is advantages of one over the other. Yeah, so I think one thing to say about cell therapy right now is that CAR-T has been
2: in the lead for some time. It was the first sort of engineered cell therapy, apart from tumor infiltrating lymphocytes. And CAR-T has a large amount of inherent persistence, and that's an advantage for that modality. In addition, CARs are very good at recognizing cell surface antigens. On the other hand, NK cells, which are part of the innate immune system, are able to recognize cells that are experiencing stress. Uh, And so they have specific receptors that also induce a high level of cytotoxicity. So as part of the innate immune system, they're always searching for and trying to sense whether there's a foreign pathogen or a tumor that might be evading uh, the adaptive immune system. Similarly, gamma-delta cells, also part of the innate immune system, bridge the innate and adaptive immune systems. They have specific receptors to other stress ligands. So it's really increasing the breadth of target repertoire that we have across these different modalities. There's also TCRT, which is able to target intracellular proteins, which make up about 85% of the tumor antigens in solid tumors. So there's quite a panoply of approaches and modalities that each have their own pros and cons.
1: Thank you Rohan and Vicky for joining us on this podcast. Quick question, you just wrapped up ASGCT. Any insights for our listeners on what are some of the key topics that were interesting, any unmet needs from a patient's point of view Anything innovative that you would, would like to highlight?
3: Some of the key gene therapy themes we saw at ASGCT this year include exploring strategies to mitigate immunogenic responses to viral gene delivery, which Rohan alluded to earlier, through the exploration of different immune modulation agents, different regimens, and through the development of alternative gene delivery vehicles. For the rare disease side, there has been a focus on transgene engineering to optimize transgene production and to increase efficiency of enzyme uptake into target tissues. And CNS targeting has been more of a focus in recent conferences for gene therapy, um, and there's the goal of achieving vector uptake in the CNS in order to address those manifestations. And other alternative gene therapy approaches to treat inherited metabolic disorders beyond AAV are also being explored, such as non-nuclear CRISPR-based gene editing that avoids double-stranded breaks. Some examples of these are adenine-based editing and prime editing. And there are other gene delivery vectors that are being explored, such as lipid nanoparticles and extracellular vesicles. So all in all, it's been a very exciting conference a lot of exciting science, and we look forward to addressing all of these hurdles to gene therapy. So, yeah,
0: so thank you, Rohan and Vicky, for discussing cell and gene therapy with us. There has been so much exciting science, new, newer technology in, in both cell therapy and gene therapy, both in oncology and rare diseases. Just to close the discussion, Rohan, if I may, if you want to highlight some of the milestones to look out for in cell therapy in next months and next years, could you highlight some of those key events that are coming up.
2: How about we look at some of the near-term targets? I'll highlight maybe Adapt Immune and their lead TCRT asset, a FAMI cell, which targets MAGE A4 in solid tumors, which will be the target of a BLA based on positive pivotal trial data in synovial sarcoma. And so we're expecting this filing in Q4 of this year. Uh, updated phase one data at ASCO from ADICEPS phase one trial of its gamma delta CAR-T ADE001 in non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is something we're looking forward to. This presentation will get a lot of attention because gamma-delta-T cell biology, as I mentioned before, is a major emerging trend in cell therapy with multiple players applying diverse and creative approaches to it. Data at conferences earlier this year showed that ADE001, a non-gene-edited allogeneic CD20 targeting CAR-T, did not elicit graft-versus-host response. Whereas, as mentioned before, allogeneic CAR-Ts are typically gene-edited to remove Donor signals. This is possible because gamma delta T cells, similar to NK cells, are, as I mentioned, innate pathway mediators and are thus not targeted by the host lymphocytes. And so the anti tumor effects demonstrated by Ad one are believed to be due to the bridging of that innate and adaptive immune pathway process, thus unlocking the potential of this modality. Lastly, a major challenge for autologous CAR T is the lengthy turnaround time from aphoresis through ex vivo manufacturing and editing to reinfusion into the patient. And this has both an impact on cost due to the logistics, cold chain, and so on, but also the decreased fitness of the patient-derived cells the longer they're out of the body. And so Novartis has a novel T-Charge platform claiming to reduce the turnaround time and standardization of the process for auto t reducing COGS and delivering a superior product. A version of Kimraya generated by T-Charge called YTB323 showed phase one results at ASH in December with markers such as in vivo expansion comparable to Importantly, Importantly, 323's pivotal trial was initiated in February, and registrational filing is already expected next year. So we hope to evaluate not only clinical outcomes, but also reduction in costs, because this would make CAR T more accessible.
1: Don't forget to subscribe in. Mahim and I are cooking up a lot of different ideas around ASCO, post-ASCO on various different data. We'll be actually hosting podcasts from McCormick Center live during ASCO and log in so that you don't miss the beat from the Axiom table.